Welcome to Disruption Blueprint with Shannon Spotswood from RFG Advisory. In this podcast, we help advisors grow their net worth, build their businesses, and maximize their independence. We've built an award-winning platform with innovative technology, comprehensive service, and a team of individuals who are experts in their field to serve advisors. Join us for this journey where we explore everything that has to do with running an independent advisor practice as we bring together successful advisors, industry experts, and innovative minds who are on the bleeding edge to challenge the status quo, foster new ideas, and create a path for advisors to unleash their growth potential. Now, on to the show. Jack, welcome to Disruption Blueprint. We are so, so happy to have you. Thanks, Shannon. I've been really looking forward to this conversation, and I think advisors are going to get a lot out of what you have to share. So, well, I hope get so. ready. <laughs> it's, I don't know. You may be more confident than I am. <laughs> All right, so we're going to jump right in because you have a really interesting journey that led you to becoming a financial advisor. Sure, this is actually a second career for you. Mm-hmm. So, talk to us about that. Tell us about your first career. And then why you settled on becoming a financial advisor as your second career. Sure. I um, studied accounting in school and thought that's the path I wanted to pursue. And I enjoyed accounting in college. And I was working for what was then Ernst & Winnie. It's Ernst & Young yeah. now and hated it. (laughs) I found myself a year into my career miserable, but I was pursuing my CPA. So I completed my CPA certification and promptly left the field of accounting and went into sales and primarily in healthcare. I started out in pharmaceutical sales and then I went into hospital sales and ultimately led to corporate development work in healthcare. And I spent a good portion of the 90s traveling coast to coast, doing acquisition deals. Doing deals. Doing deals. I loved it. Absolutely loved it. But it's a hard life. I was a road warrior, gone probably 150 nights a year. Wow. Lots of air travel fortunately prior to 9-11 yeah so i I could literally (laughs) like roll on the gate (laughs) i would i would park at the birmingham airport and walk straight down to the gate and get on the plane i would leave my house in vestavia maybe 30 minutes before departure right (laughs) the goal used to be show up five minutes before the doors closed if they were not boarding your flight when you got to the airport you You were were early yeah yeah I mean, yeah, you were, early. Or you were early. Yeah, yeah, early. So, um, nevertheless, my children were growing up, and I wanted to get off the road. And that led me to a period of time to try to figure out what I wanted to do. And someone suggested you'd be you'd make a good stockbroker. Yeah. And I hadn't thought about that. I came home and I started kind of doing a little research and thought, well, I could do that. I'm Uh, a CPA. I've done sales. Correct. I'm a deal guy, so I understand the numbers. That's exactly right. So I decided to talk to some people here in Birmingham, and I met with the folks at 
UBS, Smith Barney, and Merrill Lynch. I thought those would be good ones to talk to. I was offered at three Merrill, jobs. At, no, I was I, actually UBS um, gave me a some sort of psychological profile exam uh-huh. and said I didn't pass and that I, there's no way I could be successful in this business. So, so uh, strike one against the uh, profiling uh, for well, success. I am somewhat of an introvert. Uh-huh. Um, Even though you had this successful career in sales. Correct. I'm relatively shy. Um, I have never made a cold call yeah. in this business. You know, it. I just can't do it. I'm not good at that. I can make warm calls. I can network i can do all that sort of thing but but i'd rather have my teeth pulled without Uh anesthesia than to make a cold call which Um, i think a lot of advisors you know it's somewhat of a misnomer a lot of advisors can relate to that yeah i don't think i'm unique necessarily um there's a lot of people that have call apprehension and you know i ultimately went to work for merrill lynch and i ultimately ended up running their training program after i graduated from the training program within six months i was running it and you know i just told the people i was trying to it's a kind of amazing i was two and a half years into the business and i was trying to mentor new trainees that makes no sense but a lot of things at Merrill yeah. didn't make sense. So you but, also brought a whole career of experience to the table, correct. which those trainees had, and, needed. And I had a Rolodex yeah. when I came into right. the business. Yeah. So it worked out you know, reasonably well for that. And Merrill was a good place for me to start, frankly. I learned a lot. There were some really nice people in the Birmingham office where I was that, um, that helped me. And I made some friends. So ultimately, after Bank of America acquired Merrill and they cut the pay for the low producers, I was there in production four years. And so by definition, I was going to be a low producer. So they cut the pay. So I left, went to Ameriprise for a few more years uh, on the employee side. Yeah. And then I learned about this RIA in the building next door to us. And uh, quite a few of us came from Ameriprise. (laughs) I'm going to hold you on the the chapter of of independence because I want to circle back into the personal journey um, sure. because I I I'm a big believer and feel like my career has been so positively influenced and me as a person has been so have been so positively influenced by the power of the pivot and you know those kind of long nights staring at the ceiling thinking about who am I how do I want to spend my time. Uh, and I also, like you, have been a deal junkie. I've I've worked the investment banking hours and slept under the desk, and there is nothing sexier. There is nothing more exhilarating until you kind of look around and you're like, this is a, an amazing life, but it's the only part of my life. Yeah, yeah. And it, everything else has been sacrificed as a result. And it's a, uh, a high-flying life. Literally, I, the the most number of flight segments I had in one seven day period was twenty six. Yeah, um, and so that you know it, it's just you know work all day, fly all night, or fly all day, work all night, or what? It, it was it was crazy. Um, but I also came to grips with a little bit of personal issues, uh, in that I was uh, an abuser of alcohol, and uh, came to grips with 
having to do something about that in the late 90s. And um, by the grace of God, I've been sober now almost 25 years. Which is which amazing. Is, which is, Congratulations. It's very, yeah. It's a nice feeling. Yeah. I'm very fortunate compared to so many people that I did not lose a job or a family or anything with my alcohol abuse. Yeah. Um, I could have. And most people go down that path before they do something right. about it, right. un- unfortunately. You, the, everybody's tolerance for lows are different. Uh, apparently, yeah. I'm, I don't have much tolerance <laughs> for <laughs> adversity. So um, I was actually on a business trip in Florida and got a DUI less than 500 yards from my hotel. And uh, was, I was very fortunate that a, I didn't hurt anybody or myself or anything. But I'm also very fortunate that happened right. to me uh, because it woke me up. And that's the last drink I had yeah. that night. And that was October 28th, 1997. Wow. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. And it's, you know, I, I've walked that journey with my brother. He's 23 years um, sober. And it's interesting. His anniversary is December 21st, but he got sober the first, you know, and he was both drugs and alcohol. Mm-hmm. He was really more of a hardcore drug user. The alcohol was just, I think, probably a little bit of the, the cherry on top for him uh, for my wedding. So he got sober at the end of uh, October 30th. We, My husband and I have been married for 23 years this mm-hmm. October. And so he got sober for my wedding, fell off the wagon, and then his rock bottom was the winter solstice on December 21st. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's one of the things I love about the authenticity of being an independent advisor is that you get to bring your whole self to the job. You're not trying to fit into this corporate mold and as you entered into your second career and now have built a very successful second career, it has shaped you. It's shaped how sure. you interact with clients. It's shaped how you spend your time. It's shaped your, you know, what what's important to you. So, you know, talk about how your sobriety, your journey of sobriety has, has really impacted almost the day-to-day experience with your clients and how you think about investing. Okay. Well, there's actually two tracks there that's probably worth um, exploring. One is um, with my clients, the vast majority of them, I'm, there's probably not 5% of them that don't know about my sobriety journey. And, and some news, of my newsflash, the 5% now know. Well, that, yeah, that's probably right. <laughs> Surprise. So, um, however, many, many families struggle with this. And we as advisors become an integral part of their family, essentially. And it's allowed many of my clients, I think, have struggled with a family member or a child or a spouse that. Or themselves. Or themselves that have struggled in this area. And um, to be able to talk with me about that as opposed to their investments or their their financial planning or whatever, I think has been beneficial in some of those relationships because we're trying to 
to be a a life advisor right. with our clients. Yeah. So we're holding their hand on life's journey. And it, in many ways, it, it's centered around the investments and, and other financial decisions. But it's not exclusive of that. Right. So I think that's been very beneficial. I've yet to have anyone that's ever said, I'm not sure we should work together because you're a recovering alcoholic. <laughs> so uh, they go straight to the AA meeting. Yeah. So, so from that standpoint, it's it's been good. On on uh, another channel, there is that I have really become more aware of different managers out there and their investment philosophies. Regarding things, uh, you know, a lot of time the key word right now is is ESG, but I don't necessarily think it's all just just that. But there's certain areas that I think many of our clients um, are not; they're just not aware of what some of their investments may be be going toward. Right, and it may not align with their personal values. So, as an advisor, I feel like it's important. I I use in my own households investments I only use managers that I know pursue in investing strategies that don't invest in alcohol companies or tobacco companies mm-hmm. uh, because I because I addiction is so I, devastating I just think it's, it's, now frankly I think cigarette addiction is harder to get over probably from talking to people I've never smoked yeah but but I think you know I didn't have an addiction. I had a, I had social change yep. that I had to do and habits and things that I needed to change, but I was not addicted. Right. I think an addiction is a, is more difficult to manage. Absolutely. Um, and that's probably why your low didn't have to be so catastrophic probably, the way so probably. many others are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So anyway, I have studied a little bit about, for instance, alcohol consumption. Mm-hmm. There's all of us know people today. I have I know people that are real close to me that shouldn't drink that yeah. do and it continues to bite them in the butt and I, I, I you know I keep thinking you know maybe you ought to come talk to me or talk to yeah. somebody or or whatever maybe you need to change your life because your life you know you can change your life yeah and um, so in studying this you know a third of Americans, don't drink at all. Mm-hmm. American adults. Mm-hmm. Another third are very modest consumers of alcohol. Mm-hmm. But 10%, the top 10% of adults consume over 70 drinks a week. Wow. 10 wow. drinks a day. Wow. The top 10%. The next decile consumes two drinks a day. Yeah. That's 90% of alcohol consumption. Right there. From 20%. It's worse than the 80-20 rule. Right, right. Yeah. It is worse than the 80-20 rule. The alcohol companies have to market to those people because just if that top... That's their best consumer. If that top 10% just matched what the second 10% is of two drinks a day, 60% of their business would be gone. Go, Go away. They yeah. can't survive on that. Right. 
So they have to promote something that we know has devastating impacts, yeah. particularly the people consuming that much. Yeah, yeah. And I don't want to be a part of it. Right, right. So, but for instance, I've had two clients in the last week ask me if we're doing anything with BlackRock. Mm-hmm. Because it's hit their radar about the housing because, crisis. Yes, and BlackRock and Larry Fink was on uh, with this, I, I don't know what conference or whatever, is he's talking about all this woke agenda and that sort of thing. And I've had two clients this week ask me, are we investing anything in BlackRock? Mm. Because they so don't not like even the, the housing agenda. piece of it. This no. was the woke agenda. It's the woke agenda. Uh-huh. And and what Larry Fink, is that his yes. name? Yes, yeah. yeah. And um, They want to vote their values with their cor- investing. Correct. And they are going out there. And so I think it's something that is important to people that we often don't ask about. Right. But it, to see if that's Which part is of why, it. you know, ESG is, and it's like so many evolutions in industries, uh, the first crack at it is not the last crack at it. And so the intent of ESG, of allowing people to invest their values at the surface makes a lot of sense and I think is is a very admirable path. I think there's this question and we haven't solved it yet as an industry of how to judge that, how do you measure it, how do you score it, what's really the veracity of that of that moniker of ESG. So I think that there, you know, as we look out on the industry in the next, you know, five to ten years, that is an ever evolving as we get better at data and we and we really come up with a way. But I think you're right, you know, it's so important. I want to turn to your practice because what what you've done and what you've built and this is true of all successful advisors, is a practice that reflects your values. And so what you're talking about with regards to this 25-year journey of sobriety and really being able to look at your your clients' investment portfolios, your personal investment portfolios, and know that you're not supporting something that you are you know, not only opposed to, but have seen firsthand the devastating impacts of it. Right. Is, is really important. And you talked at the beginning about starting your journey at the wirehouses, and and yet you knew somewhere along that path that independence was where you needed to be to live the fully realized version of yourself and the practice that you are trying to create. So pick up where you kind of left off. You're leaving Ameriprise and you're looking at independence. Like what was it that allowed you to take that leap having gone Merrill, having gone investment banker, big corporate, right. Merrill, Ameriprise, all right, now I'm going to be out here, Jack Burnett, RFG advisory, right. independent advisor. Well, to some degree, you know, when I got into this business, I didn't I really didn't know how this business worked. Yeah. <laughs> there's there's good, bad, and ugly in every industry, and, and ours is no different. What I really learned at both Merrill and at Ameriprise is that they pushed an agenda of what their corporate objectives were yeah. more than anything else. And the field sales force the, the, the yeah. army of advisors um, is their tool to achieve those objectives. 
So they have all kinds of, of initiatives. And so they do things to steer the advisors to, to do those things they want to do. Yeah. At Merrill, it was really going after the affluent, the more affluent advisor or, or affluent client so that, for instance, shortly after I got to Merrill Lynch, they said if you didn't have – if you worked with a client and it was not a quarter of a million dollar uh, in account, you wouldn't get paid on it. Mm-hmm. Okay. You could open it. Right. They, they could get paid on it. Yeah, but you couldn't. But, but I couldn't get paid on it. And I thought to myself, well, you know, I was targeting a certain group of clients and – Many of them had great opportunities in retirement, but they weren't retired yet. So it was a lot of of opportunity to get my foot in the door with a client, work with them. But the real opportunity was going to be when that client retired Mm -hmm. and they, you know, they were going to get a corporate pension and they would have a substantial 401k and all these opportunities potentially. Playing the long game. And and it's a long, it is (laughs) a long game. Yeah. And, and. Um, many of my great clients today, I started very, very small and was not getting paid on. Right. But it was the right thing to do. A, they needed help and right. guidance, and it, so it was the right thing to do. And and B, they they were going to have much more investment opportunities for me to work with down the road. Yeah. At Ameriprise, for example, they really pushed their proprietary. Um, insurance and annuity business. Mm-hmm. And so that was their agenda. That's their agenda. Yeah. And they pushed that. And their their whole uh, concept of centered around financial planning was designed to, all their planning tools were designed to point out the need for annuities or insurance. Mm hmm which they just happened to be right there with their proprietary products yeah. that were in positioned better yeah. for that. And these are for-profit entities. So Absolutely. God bless them. Godspeed. And so I'm not saying that's wrong necessarily. Yeah. I'm just saying it didn't it, fit for it you. It became, I started seeing through a lot of that yeah. and thinking, well, that's not necessarily right for this client or, or that client. And, yeah. and I, I just became more knowledgeable. And so I didn't realize how much of that corporate strategic agenda I was missing until I went independent. Right. And there was this total void of people telling me how to run my business <laughs> and that I could run my business the way I want to yeah. and pursue the types of clients I want to pursue. Yeah. And so it was refreshing right and you know i thought when i came here um that i was kind of entering the twilight of my career perhaps and i remember sitting down with you and and bobby and saying look if you're some looking for somebody that's going to work real hard and is driven and and towards growth and that sort of thing i'm not your guy yep i vividly remember that conversation And I think my assets under management were probably about a fourth of what they are today. Yeah. Oh, the uh, irony. I know. I know. It's like, I'm not going to grow. And, here you are. <laughs> but I have not worked harder. Right. Uh, and as a matter of fact, I really haven't even, really haven't prospected in that period of time. But it's been natural 
um, through, you know, just natural relationships in my circles uh, that I operate in and client word of mouth. And we've been fortunate over the last six or seven years, not so much in the last 12 months, but with some good markets right. uh, that's helped. So it, it has, but you're a ninja level uh, operator of work-life oh, balance. <laughs> oh, work-life balance. Uh-huh. Yeah. Ninja level operator. Like you have very, and I think part of this is, you know, the lens of career one, career two, your journey, you and Barbara, your, your wife have really carved out a significant amount of time to invest in each other and in making memories and have figured out a way to not only have longevity and success in the industry, but to maximize the amount of time that you're you're spending and living your life. Like, how sure. have you done that? Like, everyone envy, everyone wants to be Jack Burnett. <laughs> we, um, well, one of the key foundations for being able to not work as much as I do, uh, and the thing is, I work every day. Right, you're working I, all the time. I, I work you're all the time. You're just not tethered time, to the office. And I work seven days a week Yeah, all the time. I'm always thinking about, my clients and, and work and markets and, and so forth. But I think that it's important. Barbara and I will be married in June. It'll be 40 years. Wow. And we've um, we've been very fortunate that we've grown together mm-hmm. over the course of time. And I think that's, you know, any marriage is a leap of faith, essentially. Mm-hmm. And sometimes people can grow together and Sometimes they don't, and uh, Barbara and I have been very fortunate to grow together and and build something special. Um, we love adventure and travel, mm-hmm. and we have unbelievable technology yep. today. That you know, financial advisors twenty years ago, you were tethered to your phone, couldn't take a three week trip. Right. Right. I think nothing about taking a three-week trip to Europe or Asia or, yeah. or, or anything like that. Um, I work every day, yeah. at least probably an hour yeah. every day when we travel. Um, and and I, the key and is if I, have, if I have access to the, I don't even put an out-of-office message right. on my email yeah. or, or, or cell phone or, or anything. Uh, I have a great assistant. Shout out to Katie Hammock, yeah. <laughs> who um, uh, keeps the trains keeps, running, keeps things keeps things going, and she is wonderful and been with me at Merrill yeah. Ameriprise and, and now at RFG. Yeah, so uh, she's been um, very key to yeah. a lot of my success, um, and I'm very grateful for that. Why do you think more advisors don't take advantage of? being strategic with their time fear i mean that's, that's probably bad for a yeah. for a uh, podcast to have a one word answer no i <laughs> i want to talk about fear because you and i were having this really interesting conversation a, a couple of weeks ago in talking with some some prospects and we were reminiscing about our broker dealer change 
And it was the first time I'd heard you really express how afraid you really were as we were staring at this abyss of, you know, the reality of making a broker dealer change and everything is going to change. The, you know, the business model is going to change. The technology is going to change. The custodians are going to change. There wasn't an inch of the RFG platform that wasn't about to be torn down. And, and you shared, you know, you like, that was really a scary time. And here on the other side, of it, you know, why are you able to to invest your most valuable resource, your time in creating all these memories and still be growing your practice and serving your clients is because of the the, the technology. And so we had to take, we all knew it. We just locked arms. We knew we had to take this big leap over the abyss and and do the hard things to get there. And and it's it's so fascinating to me because Fear is the number one reason cited by advisors of why they don't become independent, why they stay locked in a captive channel, locked in the wirehouses. Why they continue to drink. Why they continue to drink, why their marriages are falling apart. Like- exactly. Fear is the, is the obstacle. And you have to peel the onion back and just say that, you know, fear is a somewhat... Um, irrational emotion it usually is is uh, what you fear is usually not nearly as bad as the actual fear itself of of that we all have some reluctance to change um but change is part of life you know life's a big long complicated journey and we're we've got changes all all the way but when you step back and look at it if you just ask yourself Okay, is it going to be that? But you know, it's a pain in the butt to to change broker right. dealers. I mean, you're getting signatures you're and transition is hard work, that kind of stuff. <laughs> but you know, I, I I stepped back and I said, "Well, wait a minute. I changed from Merrill Lynch to Ameriprise, <laughs> and then I changed from Ameriprise here, and I didn't. You know, not a single client said, "No, I'm not going with you." Right. Now that reminds me of an interesting story I loved when I moved from. Merrill Lynch to Ameriprise, my favorite line I use with clients is, I can do everything for you I did at Merrill Lynch. I just cannot do it as expensively. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> so, and I just yeah. popped into my head. But, I th- but, but, you know, clients are used to things changing right. over the course of, of, a, you know of a long relationship. They're human. Yeah. So they already know in their own so, lives, like, the only constant in life is yeah. change. But, you know, I, I, for the life of me, I don't understand why more I, – I cannot understand why in this day and age an advisor would go from one wirehouse to another wirehouse, albeit get paid, but then enter into a period of 7, 9, 11 years of forgivable loan payments and false taxation right. and all these kind of things yeah. that that only make the next nine to 11 years a, a prison sentence. <laughs> and it's interesting because it's all about, you know, to some degree, the aversion to fear, the aversion yes. to change. Yeah. Do you have any coping mechanisms? Like you talked about like, you know, walking through processing in your head, what's the worst case scenario, but is, do you go through any steps when you're helping either yourself or your clients make these decisions where you do have to, everything you want is on the other side of fear? 
you know, I haven't really thought about that. Um, other than because let me frame it up yeah. a little bit because you're entering a really exciting next chapter, which is your succession planning and right. bringing your daughter into your practice. Right. Uh, your daughter who has spent 10 years plus as a teacher. So she is, I think, by default, going to be amazingly successful because so much of being an advisor is nurturing and right. teaching. Um, but there's fear involved there. Like how, you know, as, as you think about, all right, for you, you're taking a chance on bringing her into the industry. She's taking a chance on doing something completely new. Right. How did you all walk through that? Like how did you get to a point where you had – the confidence and the conviction to do what I think is one of the greatest gifts of independence, which is control over your succession right, plan. Right. The, um, you know, I, I don't know that, if, 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 I don't know if fear was the, I mean, the fears are there and, and they manifest into certain amount of anxiety. And I have anxiety over certain things. I'm, I'm, I'm dealing with some health issues with my dad and that sort of thing. That's what's kept me awake at night lately um, and, and helping to manage that. But regarding um, Allison, my daughter, she had already come to the decision that she could not be a teacher for a full 25 or 30 years. Yeah. That teaching and, and it just there were too many aspects. If she could just be free to teach mm -hmm. and deal just with children, preferably orphans because the parents right. were difficult. <laughs> that sounds terrible. But, but you know, she literally had had one parent that she had a, like a 300-plus email stream from last, wow. last spring yep. that's just made her life miserable. And it's, it, it's a small number of people mm -hmm. that make life difficult for teachers. So, all of you out there, please be kind to your children's teachers, and and it is they are working very very hard. Yep. It's a it's a hard life a hard for not job. much money, and it's good. So Allison was already exploring making a career change, mm -hmm. giving that up, thinking about maybe going back to school. She had been kind of noodling on this for a year or so, and it just dawned on me one day that. You know, maybe it would be good for her to consider coming into this business. So mm -hmm. I didn't go to her first. I talked with with my wife Barbara and said, "What do you think about this? Do you think that's something?" She said, "I don't know if she'd even be interested in it." And but we so Barbara and I talked about it for probably several weeks mm -hmm. off and on before I even approached Allison, and um, and it had not crossed Allison's mind either. Right. And so we talked a little bit about, you know, how that might work. Um, and um, and then she and her husband talked about it. And they, she said, yeah, I think that's what I'd like to do. So I actually hired her, gosh, what was it, about a year ago? Yeah. That I came and talked to yep. you. Like, yeah. We, you know, because I, I value your input and, and opinion. And that's one nice thing about at RFG I have really access to some great yeah. people that I can bounce ideas yeah. off of. 
and you enthusiastically <laughs> like said more. yes, yes, uh, more women that, that in this the would industry. be a, a great thing. And so there's there's a lot of things about our industry. The demographics yeah. line up very nicely. Yeah. The average age of an advisor out yeah. there is about sixty. Yeah. So the field the the force of advisors out there is aging far too rapidly yep. and we don't have enough young people we don't have enough women yep. out there and the, there's You're stealing my soapbox i know i know there's all, <laughs> all of these types of things and our job is not so much complex financial really our job is to hold our client's hand yeah to listen to them hold their hand help, help them help yep. them plan make good decisions uh-huh. um a- along the way and just basically be there for them. But more than anything else, we're handholders. Right. So um, Allison has those qualities of, you know, being a good listener, being empathetic, and she's just a, a, a kind, really nice, principled person. Yeah. You don't really need a whole lot more than that. Right, right. So my goal is not to turn over my practice to her. Right. Because I like what I do. And even yeah. though I'm 66 years old, um, you I'd got like, a long runway. I'd, I'd, I'd like to work. Yeah. If my health stays good, I'd like to work till I'm 80. Maybe. Yeah. Um, so I'm not going to turn it over to her. Yeah. She's going to grow. She needs to build her business yeah. and let me help her build her business. And at some point in time down the road, um, then we will, you know, consider a more formal um, succession plan. Yeah. I mean, I have a succession plan now. Yeah. Even though I've hired Allison on board, she couldn't take right. over right, right now. No. So she's, you know, passed all her licenses and that sort of thing. But, but she's got a learning curve. She's got, she does. And that's going to take several years for yeah. her to, to figure that out before she could be officially my successor. Yeah. But I just love, and I really hope that more advisors in your position recognize that, you know, with some planning, three years from now, she's going to be, you know, rocking and rolling here. Five years from now, she'd be ready to take over your practice. uh, Five years, yes. So in the trajectory of life, it's not that much time to be really strategic about there's someone I love, someone who would be really good at this. You know, look at your daughters, look at your nieces, look at, you know, look around your family. This is an unbelievable career for women. They just need a foray in. They need to be invited to the table. And then, you know, we, we really wrap them up in support and watch them thrive. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and one of the problems, our industry has done this to itself. Oh, absolutely. 100%. Because, you know, the, the, the big firms, hire almost anybody that walks in the door that has a pulse and then they exploit them right and and there's a reason we have i mean as a matter of fact i probably if i knew what the failure rate in this business is i probably wouldn't have taken the chance i was i was ignorant to that and i don't think i would have taken that chance if i knew what the failure rate of how many advisors try and don't get past five years yeah but but if you have the right circumstance where I can help Allison and bring her along and, and do that, that's a much more favorable uh, type of approach yeah. to be able to bring someone in. It's it's hard for somebody to just get in this business. Yeah, it is. It's so, a lot harder than it used to be. Yeah. And the only way that we can really change the face, like there's so much lip service being paid to, we want more women, we want more diversity, we want uh, you know our industry to become more vibrant, 
because we've attracted more young people. It takes firms like platforms like ours, firms like ours at RFG. It takes advisors right. stepping to the plate and saying, like, I'm going to be a part of that change. Right. Well, I'm, I'm giving up some because yes. I'm paying Allison. Right. She's going to give right now we're doing 85-15. Yep. I'm giving her 15% of my income. Yep. She's going to give me she's going to give me 15% of her income in perpetuity. Yes. Yes. And and then and when I do walk away she's going to also have to pay. Right. Right. She's going to buy out your practice. Correct. Yep. So so it, it it is there's a little something there but the you know most of the industry has such a what I call a reverse Robin Hood mentality. <laughs> the, the big firms are all about giving to their high producers more yeah. and more and more and exploiting the people on the bottom end of that. And, yeah. just, and, and it's just crazy. Well, it's so funny. Allison's participating in our upcoming growth boot camp right. that we're hosting at the end of October. And when we pitched this idea, you know, we've designed it for our smallest advisors or in the case of Allison someone who this will be her really her first kind of foray into what we're doing so we've purposefully designed a two-day growth immersion to invest in our smallest advisors right. because everybody goes to the top like I want to service my biggest advisors the one that are growing the fastest they're going to get all the resources I'm like guess who your largest advisors of tomorrow are right the ones who are the smallest today. Yeah. yeah. So it's um I'm I, I'm thrilled about it. I hope we're starting a trend, Jack. I, I hope, hope so. I hope, I hope that so. when we get back here in the studio, you know, two three years from now, uh, there are other advisors that have heard your story about you know investing in your succession plan. Fifteen percent of your income is a real number. So well, there, it, it it is. It's it's more meaningful for Allison than it is for me. Yeah. But. But it it takes a little pressure off of her so that she can make good decisions right. on building her book of business, not desperate decisions. Right, right. And um, and at the end of the day, I, I think it will pay off. Yep. Well, and if nothing else, like it it to me is um, you know a, a a vote of confidence for that decision so many years ago to become independent because you right. have the control over all these decisions, the control over how you spend your time, the control over the ability to reflect your values in your right. investment portfolio and the ability to bring in your daughter and, and really, you know, it might not work. It might, she might get it into this business and be yeah. like, I hate this, yeah. but you know what? We're not going to know until we try. That's exactly right. All right. Thank That's you so not much. Happen. It's not going to happen. <laughs> Are you kidding me? You know, I, I, I you know, we're not letting that happen. <laughs> She's I the know. beginning of yeah. a tidal wave. Yeah. All right, Jack, since you went there, you shared that you're 66 years old. Uh, so I want to ask you about aging in the industry. We talk a lot about the succession crisis right. and the average age of the financial advisor being north of, you know, anywhere between 60 and 65, depending on the study. You're probably getting asked that question. How long are you going to work? What does that look like for you? Let's talk about it. Like, sure. how do you address that with clients and what does it mean to you? One, one thing, I, I, I'll, first of all, I love what I do. Um, and I'd like to do it. Till you're 80 at yeah, least. Yeah, a, a long time. Um, and I love the, you know, the flexibility, the freedom and everything. My job is not confining. Right. So it allows us to travel as much as we want to. 
Um, technology allows that. So there's no reason to. And if your clients value you, they don't want you to retire. They don't want to have to work with a new advisor. And, and um, so I have um, had this come up as I tell people that I'm bringing Allison on board to come work with me. And they say, are you going somewhere? And I say, no, 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 don't worry yeah. about that. My goal, I tell them my goal is to probably work another 15 years or so. And of course, none of us know what God's right. going to help us d- right. deliver as far as, um, you know, our longevity is, you know, I always joke about it. And, and I've even done this when I'm doing financial planning with someone and I'll say, what's your date of death? Yeah. Because planning is a lot easier if we know right. what, what our date of death is. Right. Can but, we get that book? <laughs> yeah, so we don't know. But um, I'm blessed with good health today. And, and my intention is to work another 15 years or, or so, uh, probably. And I probably won't ever really quit right. e- either. So yeah. as long as my health is good. However, I do think that we as advisors have an obligation to take care of ourselves to try to promote that mm-hmm. longevity. And as part of that work-life balance. And so I work out. I, 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 I have two different workout regimens that I do that alternate. And I work out six days a week. Mm-hmm. And, to try and one to, of those is Iron Tribe. Like, one of them is Iron <laughs> Tribe. And, and it's, it's interesting. I've, I, I've been at Iron Tribe almost 12 years. Wow. Um, and they, it's, a, it's a wonderful brand. And I, I've gotten, I have clients that I've gotten from Iron Tribe uh-huh. uh, that have been very, it's, it's been wonderful. Uh, and it's just a wonderful community. But I've, this calendar year, I've had personal best in like eight different weightlifting moves wow. at age 66. 66. Yes. Yep. So, um, you know, I'm not doing, you know, 275-pound power cleans. Right. But, but still, I've, I've been tracking those since like 2012 right. and an app on my phone. Yeah. And I've gotten new PRs, PRs uh-huh. in like eight different yeah. lifts this year. You can control so your metabolic is, age. That is true. You, and so we we can help God uh-huh. along the way by valuing what we're blessed with and taking that and making the most of it. And you've done what is so critically important to work out six days a week. You've made it a habit. Correct. You carve out the time. It well, doesn't move on your calendar. Well, I also do it with Barbara. Mm-hmm. So it's... You know, date night in the gym, and then we go eat. Uh-huh. So it is um, it is something we do together. Um, Allison, my daughter, and her husband also go to Iron Tribe yeah. with us, and so it's a family thing. Yeah, um, and it's it's we don't take ourselves seriously in the gym, but we take our workout seriously. Right. So right. we we laugh and 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 have a great time. Um, I modify their prescribed workout yeah. quite often based yeah. on, you know, I've got some sore knees and, yeah. and things of that nature. And you have to... But you don't make excuses. You, you no, just modify and you move have on. To, you have to listen to your body. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, there's a little bit of an art to working out when you're older. Mm-hmm. But everybody can do something to be moving. And if you, if you quit moving... <sighs> you're dead. Your body is starting to die. Yep. And I've got... Um, 
you know, Barbara and I have aging parents that are in their late 80s who did not maintain an active lifestyle into their 60s. Mm-hmm. And they're paying prices for it yeah. now. So it is something we want to try to avoid. And by maintaining our active lifestyle, plus it's fun. It is fun. Well, you know what? I, I, so I turned 51 in May, and my what I, the, the change I made in my brain was to longevity. So, you know, you get kind of obsessive about, Mm -hmm. you know, whether it's the PR or the amount of weight or the number of workouts or all the rest of it. And I was like, I'm going to change that goal. I've got enough goals I'm, I'm, I'm chasing. Instead, I want to be, you know, six to seven days a week and I want longevity. Right. I want to be able to run. I want to be able to recycle. I want to be able to, you know, do a 15 mile climb. I want like, I'm not going to be as obsessed about what is the output on any given day as long as I have longevity. And I think you're right. I think you just got to, you know, when people tell me I don't have time to work out, like, I love you all, but I lose a little bit of respect for you. Yeah. Like, make it a, a priority. If you don't have your health, you have nothing. You know, my new granddaughter, three weeks old, and our first grandchild. So we waited a long yeah. time for to become grandparents. For God's gift. Yes. God's greatest gift. You know, when she's 10, yeah, I'll be 76. So I have to do all this work so I can right. be skiing with her. Exactly. At Deer Valley in at Utah. Deer Valley. <laughs> in you know years. what? The montage will keep me young. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> so selfishly, I have some goals yep. from that perspective. But it, at the end of the day, it's, it's good for me and my family. It's good for my clients. Yep. It's good for the enterprise value of your practice. Everything (laughs) to do that, and so you know, all you out there in 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 the world, if you want to know how to get started and be physically active, come see me. Love it. Thanks, Jack. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks for joining us in this in our disruption blueprint podcast. We loved having you. I appreciate it. Thank you, Shane. Thank you for listening to the Disruption Blueprint podcast. Click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. Visit our website at www.rfgadvisory.com or schedule a call on our advisor resources page. And don't forget to click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. Content here is for illustrative purposes and general information only. It is not legal, tax, or individualized financial advice, nor is it a recommendation to buy, sell, or hold any specific security or engage in any specific training strategy. Information here may be provided, in part, by third-party sources. These sources are generally deemed to be reliable. However, neither our guest nor RFG advisory guarantee the accuracy of third-party sources. The views expressed here are those of our guest. They do not necessarily represent those of RFG advisory, its employees, or its clients. This commentary should not be regarded as a description of advisory services provided by RFG advisory or performance returns of any client. The views reflected in the commentary are subject to change at any time without notice. Securities offered by registered representatives of private client services, member FINRA SIPC. Advisory services offered by investment advisory representatives of RFG Advisory, LLC, RFG Advisory or RFG, a registered investment advisor. Private client services and RFG Advisory are unaffiliated entities. Advisory services are only offered to clients or prospective clients where RFG Advisory and its representatives are properly licensed or exempt from licensure.
No advisory services may be rendered by RFG Advisory unless a client agreement is in place. RFG Advisory is an SEC-registered investment advisor. SEC registration does not constitute an endorsement of RFG by the Commission, nor does it indicate that RFG or any associated investment advisory representative has attained a particular level of skill or ability.